This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. 2022 marks 75 years since Jack Robinson broke the color barrier. You said, wait a minute, why? Why is he calling him Jack? You'll find out during this interview in Sports Jam. Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier on the 50th anniversary of his death, October 24th. In light of these historic milestones, Dr. Yuhuru Williams and Michael G. Long bring us a different kind of portrayal of this barrier-breaking American hero and a proud lifelong fighter for black justice. Their new book, Call Him Jack, the story of Jackie Robinson, black freedom fighter. Dr. Williams and Michael, welcome to Sports Jam. Glad to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Now, it's great to be here, Doug. And that's the first time I've ever heard anybody introduce Jack Robinson is Jack Robinson. So thank you very much. It's awesome to hear. Well, I've heard that you have said that if you read this book and you don't refer to him or don't understand why he should be Jack Robinson, then you don't know Jack. We set out to write a book uh, about Jack Robinson that really highlighted other aspects of his life and career post-baseball that kind of emphasize him as a as an individual beyond the years that he spends with the Dodgers. We all know the enormous impact that he had on the game. But for Michael and I, it was this question of, you know, uh, Robinson's contributions don't just end at the baseball diamond. So how do we recapture his early life where he is battling for racial equality, pushing back against segregation, um, trying to claim the full benefits of first-class citizenship for himself and for other people of color, African-Americans in particular, and what he does post-baseball. And for us, I think that's encapsulated in a speech that Dr. King gives in 1963 as Jack is being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And Dr. King, in kind of celebrating Jack's career, describes him, interestingly, as a sit-inner before the sit-ins and a freedom rider before the freedom rides. Easy for people to assume that Dr. King is just trying to fit Jack in that moment into this pantheon of civil rights uh, heroes associated with the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s that we're all familiar with. But in fact, we look back at Jack. He is he and his friend Ray Bartlett are attempting to desegregate a lunch counter in 1930s California. He refuses to give up his seat on a Texas uh, bus um, uh, in the 1940s. Um, he is pushing for racial equality in all kinds of ways that Dr. King was familiar with, and we felt we needed to capture that for this generation. So let's first of all tell you why these two men are involved in this project. Dr. Williams is a distinguished university chair, professor, and founding director of the Racial Justice Initiative at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, the former chief historian of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. He appeared in Ken Burns' documentary. We had Ken Burns as a guest here on Sports Jam not long ago talking about his Muhammad Ali documentary. But of course, the one on Jackie Robinson is wonderful as well. And also, Dr. Williams is the author of numerous books, including Teaching U.S. History Beyond the Textbook, and he lives in Minnesota. And Michael G. Long is the author and editor of several books on Jackie Robinson and civil rights history. In fact, this is book number four on Jack Robinson for Michael G. Long. And uh, Michael has also appeared in the Ken Burns documentary and his op-ed pieces about Jackie Robinson have been published in many national media outlets, such as the LA Times, the Chicago Tribune, and ESPN. He lives in Pennsylvania, and this is his, once again, fourth book on Jack Robinson. This book is also geared towards maybe a younger audience when it comes to educating young people 
and old, but a lot of people who don't know the role that Jack Robinson played when it comes to not just baseball, as you mentioned, but life. Yeah, you know, it's the Jack Robinson I grew up with in central Pennsylvania was the Jackie Robinson of all those books that were in the school library. And almost all of them, I would venture to say all of them, focused on April 15th, 1947. And that's the day, of course, when he cracked the color barrier in Major League Baseball. He didn't shatter it. He cracked it (laughs) in Major League Baseball that year. And, you know, in that year, in the following two years, he's really the nonviolent Jackie Robinson. He's smiling. He's young. He's fresh-faced. He's polite. He's non-threatening. That's what he is, Doug. He's non-threatening to white America. And I think that's really why we embraced uh, the Jackie Robinson of April 15th, 1947, because he is so non-threatening. And what we wanted to do was to introduce young readers to a more threatening Jack Robinson. You know, it was very difficult for Robinson to be non-violent. He he wasn't naturally non-violent. He wasn't a pacifist by any stretch of the imagination. He was a fierce fighter. He had a strong backbone. And beyond those first few years in Major League Baseball, this guy was just ferocious in defending his rights and the rights of other Black people. And really, that's the Jack Robinson that we wanted to introduce young readers to. The book uh, is targeted for anybody from 10 years old to 110 years old. Dr. Williams, when it comes to, you know, I I can eat this stuff up because I love history. So, yeah, so we know, and here in our area, Larry Doby broke the color barrier, you know, the in American League, and Larry Doby Jr. has been a guest here on the show. And Larry Doby Sr. used to listen to the radio station that I work for, WBGO, because my uh, cohort in the morning, our wonderful announcer, Gary Walker, would talk about the Cleveland Indians. And he got a phone call one day from someone who said, you know, you're mispronouncing one of the players' names on the team. And Gary said, who is this? He goes, well, this is Larry Doby. And he was listening, <laughs> and he goes, I guess you would know then. And uh, so we know about the, the, the breaking of the color barriers in both leagues, but it's this relationship that he had with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. that really fascinates me. Dr. Williams, can you talk about, you know, the book mentions how at different times, You know, he related to both of these men in different ways. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I I think we see an evolution in Jack over time, which I think is very important for young people in particular, for all of us, uh, particularly in this moment, um, as Michael shared, because we have to understand that people can grow, that they can change. And Jack was one of these individuals who, you know, took data in and then made an evaluation based on that data. He, you know, had no problem admitting when he was wrong. He could be, you know, uh, fiercely um, uh, defend his position if he believed he was right, but you also could convince him. And over time, you watch him grow. Um, He is, you know, a a staunch supporter of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in the very beginning. When Dr. King comes out against the Vietnam War, Jack is disappointed and um, writes to Dr. King and shares that disappointment, argues that African-Americans have a duty and a responsibility to participate in that war um, and is upset about King's uh, take on on the Vietnam War. Uh, Malcolm X and he have a, a you know very famous or infamous um, kind of war of words that take place uh, in, in the press and in, in their columns, their respective columns. And yet later on, you've got um, Jackie or Jack articulating deep respect for Malcolm, 
um, in saying that, you know, there were some points that Malcolm made that were actually very important. For me, the the person who kind of opened me up to that portrait of Jack was Michael Long. I'd gone to work for the Jackie Robinson Foundation. And uh, part of our our responsibility was to help steep our scholars in Jack's life and legacy as they were embarking on, on their four-year scholarship. And we used to assign Michael's book, First Class Citizenship. What I loved about that book, and it kind of worked in tandem with the relationship I had at the foundation, I worked very closely with Rachel Robinson, or at least I was exposed to her and had an opportunity to talk to her. She always referred to Jackie as Jack. So I started to do that. And then when I was reading Michael's book, you know, Michael has these wonderful letters that Jack is corresponding with these, you know, prominent politicians, civil rights leaders, and he's signing a lot of those letters, Jack. So for me, there was an individual there we were missing. And also in the way that I, I oriented those scholars, I didn't want them to just think about uh, baseball, Jack. His relationships with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X speak to the complexity of the man. They tell us that Jack was someone who was very conscious, I mean, cognizant, of his platform. And he had this deep sense, this, this kind of sense of purpose and duty that he had a responsibility to represent his views, but also um, to be open to the fact that he could be wrong. And you see him, you know, he makes a lot of mistakes, but you also see a lot of moments where, you know, he owns up to the fact that he grew into a deeper understanding of certain issues and certain people. Michael, isn't it interesting, or I don't know if it's ironic, but it's certainly interesting the Jack Roosevelt Robinson would be named after a former president who he probably wouldn't really agree with his views once he learned what he was all about, Theodore Roosevelt. So uh, interesting that he would grow up as Jack Roosevelt Robinson and, and become a major player in, uh, in our world. I want you to know that this honor that was brought upon me here could not have happened without the great work and the advice and guidance that I've had from three of the most wonderful people that I know. And if either of them weren't here today, I know that this day could not be complete, but they're all here. And I, I just hope you don't mind if I just pay a, a word of thanks and uh, a tribute to my advisor and a wonderful friend, a man who I considered a father, Mr. Branch Rickey. And my mother, who taught me so much of the important things early in life, I appreciate no end. My mother, Mrs. Robinson. And, and lastly, ladies and gentlemen, my wife, who has been such a wonderful inspiration to me and a person who has guided and advised me throughout our entire marriage. I, I couldn't have been here today without her help. Another thing that strikes me about uh, your wonderful book is the influence of women in Jack's life, from his mom having to deal with dad leaving at a, an early age and, and leaving him with five children, including the young Jack Robinson, and how she had a, a backbone. And so, as, as you know, Dr. Williams mentioned, Rachel Robinson had a huge backbone and and I've heard you talk about would go in, Michael, you were talking about she would go into the uh, negotiations uh, and fight for salary or maybe a higher salary or different uh, things for, for Jack. Women played a huge role in the shaping of Jack Robinson, Michael. Yeah, Robinson often said he wondered what would have 
become of him had his mother not taken that freedom train from Georgia to Pasadena in 1920. He was only six months old, you're right. His father, Jerry, had deserted the family. He went to Florida with another woman. And Mally eventually takes scoops up young Jack and his four siblings and heads to Pasadena, the promised land, right? Well, Pasadena turns out to be a really tough place as well in terms of issues of racial equality and inequality. Uh, but, you know, Mally teaches him not only that freedom is something to be grasped, something to be fought for, which is exactly what she does on that freedom train, right? She fights for her freedom by leaving Georgia and going to California. She also she also teaches him about the dignity of the color of his skin. She was a deeply religious woman, and she taught him, this is really interesting to me anyway, <laughs> that the story of an Adam of Adam and Eve was a story about two people who were originally black. And then when Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God saw them, they became so scared, so fearful, so afraid that they turned white. <laughs> and she used that story to teach young Jack and his siblings that the color of their skin, black, was a mark of God's original design for humanity. Jack rose up believing that the color of his skin was a mark of dignity. And indeed, he celebrated the blackness of his skin. Rachel Robinson says that when she saw him at UCLA, she was attracted to him in part because she could tell that he was very comfortable in his own skin. And she could tell that in part because he wore bright white shirts to accentuate the darkness of his skin. Indeed, Jack Robinson was very proud that he was a black man. You have to have the right person at the right time in history to, to make, an, make an impact. And whether you think that there were more talented people, some people say, you know, Jackie was young and, and maybe somebody like Monty Irvin could have broken the color barrier. You know, he had the skills to do that. But obviously, Branch Rickey thought, you know, I need somebody who has what it takes. And that's what makes it so fascinating to me is the more you learn about what you've been talking about in this book, about his anger and his feelings, that he was still able to keep that in check, knowing his value when it comes to the rest of not only his race, but Major League Baseball. And if he would have jumped out of his skin every moment like he would want to, it wouldn't have worked. Dr. Williams, it really shows you the intestinal fortitude of a young man who comes out of UCLA as an incredible athlete, a wonderful football player as well, and played all kinds of, I've heard you talk about, uh, Michael, you talk about he could play ping pong. So what couldn't Jack do uh, when it comes to sports? 
but it really speaks to his character, doesn't it, Dr. Williams? Yeah, I think it does. And I, you know, it, funny story related to that, um, we tell in the book, but Jack and his uh, peers, uh, young people of color were denied access to the pool in Pasadena, except for one day a week. And we we often joke when we're out on the road together, imagine if Jack had had access to the pool. Um, he might have been Michael Phelps before Michael Phelps. He just naturally was a gifted <laughs> athlete, which was you know, augmented by the fact that he had an incredible work ethic, which people often don't talk about. I, I think he appealed to Branch Rickey because of utility. And certainly we always have debates with folks who go, look, there are half a dozen players who could have been just as successful, if not more so, um, in integrating the Dodgers. But it was a combination of Jack's utility, you know, his his speed and agility and everything else that he brought to the table along with the fact that, you know, Ricky has a record, we often don't talk about that story in this way, of Jack fighting back the right way. So it's often framed as, and certainly that conversation takes place as, I need somebody with the courage not to fight back. And that's a very convenient way to kind of think about the exchange. But also part of that is, I need somebody to understand that it's bigger than them, that this enterprise... Um, is going to be much more significant in terms of what we accomplish in the next year. And he already, Jack was already on board. Jack had been doing that. We love to tell the story, for example, of you know Jack refusing to give up his seat on that Texas bus in 1944, in which he's nearly court-martialed. Jack fights back in that instance, but he fights back utilizing um, Army code, which had said there, there was to be no segregation on U.S. Army bases. So certainly he gets in a verbal altercation with the bus driver and with the police who ultimately arrest him, but it's ultimately resolved by Jack fighting back with the tools that supported his argument for why that was a violation of his of his rights um, in that particular moment. That's also what appeals to, to Ricky is that you've got somebody here who's going to have the presence of mind to think through consequences. And that speaks volumes about Jack's character. Again, doesn't say that there weren't other players who could have done that, but I think it also, you know, there's this track record here with Jack. In fact, um, one of the things that I love about the book that we write um, in Jack's opening game, you know, much is made of what the fans are yelling at Jack from the stands, but the reality is Jack, none of that would have been foreign to Jack Robinson. In fact, Jack had experienced that from his hometown fans, people who were, you know, supporters of UCLA used far more abusive language um, when Jack took the field and they were rooting for him presumably a rooting for for UCLA. So the story really is his ability to compartmentalize that and to recognize that, you know, in, in addition to having that tremendous opportunity, this was also an opportunity for Black people. And that, again, speaks volumes to his character, his ability to kind of understand, you know, um, my momentary anger could ultimately disrupt this great experiment. And so therefore, I'm willing to kind of bottle that up for this year. We know, though, when Jack is unleashed, so to speak, when that, you know, kind of uh, bargain reaches its end, he never holds back. And it's, you know, again, we don't often tell that story, but it's exciting um, sometimes for us in the archives as we were coming across things to see people the way that the sports writers uh, wrote about Jack. You know, they are um, they go from praising him to being exacerbated by the fact that they think that he's, you know, quick tempered and so on and so forth. But he had already established in his bona fides in that first year by not responding in that way. The book is titled Call Him Jack, the story of Jackie Robinson, Black freedom fighter. Timeliness is always a good thing when it comes to publishing a book. And 
race relations are still not where we want them to be in this country. And obviously, there have been strides since not allowing Jack to be in the pool, but one day a week. But we know, especially young black men and women know the struggles that are still out there. So when this book was written, obviously, I that had to come into your, your minds, right, about the, the need to tell these young kids and, and people of all ages that you have starting points and, yeah, things have progressed, but we're real far away from where we need to be, right? A huge um, issue for us because – and I, I think in, in two ways. One was here was a moment, um, particularly when we talk about the last three years, where you had athletes speaking out um, against racial injustice and kind of using their platform to raise consciousness around issues such as uh, violence against uh, black and brown people um, in public spaces. And yet, at the same time, you had Jack being, in some sense, pushed out of that conversation. So there was a celebration of, for example, um, 1968 Olympics and the protest in that moment, Kareem Abdul-Jamar uh, Abdul and all the things that he had done. Uh, and yet, Jackie Robinson never found his way into that conversation. We felt it was important to establish firmly that Jack belongs as much to that tradition as a Muhammad Ali, as a Jim Brown, um, as other athletes who we lionize for taking a principled stand on civil rights. Jack did that. Um, the story of Jackie Robinson, in some sense, uh, prevents people from understanding how he fits into that tradition. And the fact that in, in a lot of ways, not simply because he was the first, but because of the tremendous pressure that he himself faced as a result of this, um, was probably a lot harder for him. It's a lot easier for other people to take a knee after, you know, and again, not taking anything away from that protest, but you know where your supporters are. It was for, for a moment there, just Jack. And so he was carrying the entire burden of that, um, both in the clubhouse and on his own team and the league as a whole and in the nation and in the world. And that, that again speaks volumes. Secondly, I think what was important for us is to, if something happened last fall, um, excuse me, last spring, Tim Anderson at Chicago White Sox got into an altercation with a Yankees player. And the question was, I think it was Josh Donaldson. And, and he said that Donaldson had used a racial slur against him or, you know, used a inappropriate language. And people asked him, reporters asked him after, what did, what did he say? Like, what set you off? And he said, he called me Jackie. Michael and I heard that and we said, you know, and not taking anything from Tim Anderson, who's a huge fan of Jackie Robinson. But what kind of a world do we live in where calling somebody Jackie becomes a slur? Um, in fact, Tim Anderson loves Jackie Robinson, but I think he would have taken that as a badge of, of honor if he'd known Jack more intimately. Because what, you know, what Donaldson may have intended as, you know, not good natured ribbing actually was an affirmation of everything that Tim Anderson hopes to represent in the game and in the city of Chicago, a commitment to civil rights, being a role model, um, being a, a, a person who emphasizes uh, dignity and worth of, of people of color. So for us, it's kind of interesting where Jack sits in that conversation. A lot of times people really freeze him in that 1947 moment, that passive moment that Michael describes, we wanted to shatter that, you know, Jack Roosevelt Robinson is a very compelling individual. If you really kind of dig beneath the, the kind of surface, the invention of Jackie, and you get to the man who was Jack. Michael, I want to ask you, we have a few minutes left here on Sports Jam. Jack dies in 1972 at the age of 53. And he had heart disease and diabetes, but he died of a heart attack. That burden that Dr. Williams is talking about, 
Do you think that had anything to do with his short lifespan? Yeah, you know, I wish I were a doctor and I could go back and and look at his charts and try to make determinations along the way. I can't do that, but I can tell you that I've read some articles written by doctors who have made the case that racism uh, weighs heavily on the bodies of people who are victims of racism. I can't imagine, and, and there's an, actually an article written by doctors about the role that racism probably played in the early death of Jack Robinson. I can't imagine that it didn't. This was a guy who would go out onto the field and compile Hall of Fame statistics, but do it under this enormous pressure. There would be people, he would think, who would be in the, audi in the audience, in the stands, in the crowd, who would want to shoot him. I mean, he would get death threats saying that we're going to be at Crossley Stadium today and we're going to take you out, signed with the Travelers or the KKK. You know, he would perform under intense circumstances. I cannot imagine, Doug, that that did not weigh heavily on him, that it did not have some sort of physical manifestation on his body. So, yeah, do I think that uh, racism played a role in his early death? You're damn right I do. Absolutely. So I want to see if I can get both of you to respond to this. You've had the pleasure, Dr. Williams, of working with Rachel Robinson through the foundation. But Jack comes back for a day, and he sits down with Dr. Uhura Williams and Michael G. Long, and we have a little lunch together. What's the one question each of you would want to ask Jack Robinson? Well, you know, this is self-serving, but my first question would be, can I get your autograph? Um, after that... <laughs> See, that's smart. <laughs> Not only for you, but for your family as it goes through the ages, right? Absolutely. You know, one of the, the Michael and I really fought the impulse to write the, call this book, The Robinsons of Family of Firsts, because the Robinsons are integrating spaces throughout Jack's career. They integrate Stanford, Connecticut. Um, his kids integrate Stanford, Stanford schools. I mean, it's, he's integrating the public golf course there, um, uh, in, in Connecticut. So I would ask him to kind of evaluate the impact that his family had, not in terms of their support for him, but in terms of them being trailblazers in the other spaces that the Robinsons, by virtue of Jack's position, were then thrust into, which we often don't talk about. But they were, this is a trailblazing family of pioneers who, in some sense, drafted into the movement by virtue of Jack integrating the Dodgers and then them being thrust into. Uh, these various other other positions. So that would be my, after the autograph, that'd be my question. That's great. Michael, your question for Jack. Oh yeah, by one question, I I hope you mean three. I would ask him, <laughs> I would ask him, uh, since he was active in the Republican Party, he was a registered independent, but he was active in the Republican Party many times. I would ask him his thoughts about the state of the current GOP. Uh, second, I would ask him what he thought about Black American players in Major League Baseball or the lack of them. Uh, I think he would have ferocious thoughts about those two questions. And then third, I'd ask him why he retired from baseball. Uh, there's this one spot in his autobiography uh, where he says that he left baseball after somebody questioned his integrity. He never explains what he means by that. And he just sort of left us hanging. Now, there are lots of reasons why 
he probably retired from baseball, including, you know, the state of his body and and the uh, inducement of going to take a job with chock full of nuts in New York and so forth. But I'd like to know what he meant by that line. So there you go. Three quick questions. I'll wrap into one. I think my question might be that I'd have to have another person come back, the wonderful Yogi Berra, and have them both in the same room (laughs) and say, all right, Jack. (laughs) <laughs> when you're safer out when you stole home against the Yankees and have to have Yogi there and stare him in the face and see what both of them had to say. Because we know <laughs> that Yogi professed that he was that that he had tagged him out, right? So that that would be a, a lot of fun. Also, a lot of fun is is reading this book. If you want to know history mixed in with sports, this is a book for you because it really talks about a lot of things that we haven't heard a lot about Jack Robinson, and thus uh, very important. Plus, both of my guests here are, once again, part of Ken Burns' Jackie Robinson. And uh, during my talk with Ken Burns, I could listen to him for hours and hours talk about uh, baseball and talk about jazz and talk about Jackie Robinson. And so uh, congratulations to both of you for being big sources or for that wonderful uh, documentary. Uh, we have about uh, three minutes here. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about this book that maybe uh, we haven't discussed? Makes a wonderful Christmas gift, I think, for young people in particular. Uh, Jack, we emphasize character education a lot of times in K-12 education. You'll find no better template for character than Jack Robinson. And you can find it wherever books are sold, right? Online, everywhere. Uh, how about the publisher? You want to tell us a little bit about the publisher, Michael? Sure. The publisher is Farrar Strauss-Gerow Books for Young Readers, FSGBYR. Uh, you can find them online pretty easily. We've had an excellent editor. We still have an excellent editor, uh, Wesley Adams at FSG. He really helped us uh, sharpen the book. And oh, thanks to them and thanks to the great team at Macmillan Kids uh, in New York City. Well, and certainly, uh, as you mentioned, it's for readers 10 and up from the Army to the, as we talked about earlier, with the connections with Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to Rachel Robinson, to his early days, um, you know, being one of five children and being on that freedom train to Pasadena, California. What a story about Jack Robinson. And if you don't, as Dr. Williams and Michael Long would say, if you uh, refer to him as Jackie Robinson after you read this book, then I guess you don't know Jack. So we'll leave it at that on this edition of Sports Jam. Michael Long and Dr. Uhura Williams, thanks so much for joining us. Great show, Doug. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Doug. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios production. You can hear all the past shows by going to wbgo.org slash sports jam or wbgo.org slash studios. You can also find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or wherever you hear podcasts. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.